Welcome to the Return to the Forgotten Path podcast. Join us on this journey to travel to a forgotten pathway that leads to rest and restoration. This podcast is a weekly Bible study of this week's Torah portion, known as a Parsha. It's a weekly reading according to the Jewish annual Torah cycle. Every week, we will have a discussion filled with both historical and cultural viewpoints as it pertains to the return to the forgotten path that is increasingly happening all around the world. We will review and share opinions from the weekly Torah, also known as the five first books of the Bible or the Mosaic Law. We will also do readings from the Hafsorah and the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament readings. For those who ask, what is the forgotten path? Jeremiah 6.16 puts it like this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Our podcast seeks to point our listeners to that ancient old path through the study of the Bible from the perspective of the Torah, which is properly translated as instructions. And now the blessing before the Torah study. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. This portion is named Tazria, which means she will conceive. The name of this 27th reading comes from the words in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 2, where the Lord says to Moses, when a woman conceives and bears a male child. This um, portion starts with Leviticus 12, discussing the laws of purification after childbirth. Chapter 13 introduces the laws, instructions for diagnosing and quarantining lepers. And this is a leap year, so it's not going to be read with its subsequent portion of Torah. We're going to be Tazria by itself this year. And so for the Torah portion, it comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 12, from verse 1 through 13, verse 59. The Haftarah portion is from the books of 2 Kings, chapter 4, verse 42 through 5, verse 19. And the gospel is from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. This week is also considered... Um... Uh, uh, excuse me, a special Sabbath, excuse me, and I'm trying to read what it's called, the, uh, during Parshat Zav, on our biblical new year, it is the Rosh Kadesh, the beginning of the new year, uh, the biblical new year, uh, as evidenced in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and so our maftir, or additional reading on this Shabbat, is Exodus 12, verses 1 through 20. Uh, the half Torah is the same, but the Brit Hadashah reading from Hebrew to Christians is John chapter 6, verses 8 through 13, and Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Would you like to begin with the first reading from the portion Tazria, which is really just two chapters this week. Well, the first few verses in Leviticus 12, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin, the male child, shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for six, six days. Which is a total of? 80. 80 days. I see. Okay. How would you like to begin? With regards to the childbirth and the purification process, 
the 40 total days for a male child, 80 total days for a female child, the double, as far as our understanding is concerned right now, is that females can't give birth. So you've got that double portion, if you will, of time that's required. Scientifically, as many mothers can tell you, having a boy child affects your body differently than a girl child. I don't know that. I would say you should. <laughs> and having that additional time to get your body and everything back into right order, for lack of a better phrase, um, is likely also part of the equation. When it comes to the bigger part of this portion, the instructions about leprosy and having the priest looking at you would wonder, like, hey, well, if you're sick, if you've got these patches, why is the priest looking at you and not a doctor? Well, as many commentaries have to have explained in many great detail, this is really a case of Lashon Haral, evil speech, and it's a spiritual affliction versus a physical one. And just like you'll see in next week's portion of Torah, where it goes into more details on different aspects of it, this shows up as the verbal sin of speaking evil raises up the head and shows itself up as some physical manifestation on your body. So the priest can sit there and look and go, okay, I see what's going on. So if it looks a certain way, they can diagnose it as such. You leave the camp, you're isolated so the gossip can stop. Then after the purification process, you can come back into the camp. Now, my two and a half cents on its significance today is with regards to how we conduct ourselves in environments where it's being celebrated for everyone to express how they feel, speak their truth, use your platforms to broadcast your perspective on everything. A lot of times what we say may be true to you, but it may not be truth. We don't always know what's going on in someone else's world or mind or anything. And just because we have a witty concept or words to share on a topic doesn't necessarily mean it ought to be said. It's not right. And, you know, personal note, I share this with my family every so often, but this is something that I realized I used to say, thinking I was being clever and didn't realize how hurtful it was. I had this quote-unquote witty saying with Black people and their illegitimate love children as, at the time, it just sounded like, oh, that was just a bunch of nice long syllables put together. It sounded real cute. I didn't think about the stupidity behind it all. And I would say that I was just hanging out with some friends and one guy was like, hey, wait a minute. You talking about me? And I'm going, no. You know, I've been saying this for years. No, I got nothing to do with you. He's like, I just realized that that situation describes my situation. And I'm like, oh, my, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was saying anything that was offensive. In my mind, it was just witty, clever, or whatever. And, and then the other person I'm with, like, hey, <laughs> wait a minute. That's my situation. And I'm like, oh, so now I'm apologizing to two people that have heard me say this for years. So thankfully, they didn't take offense and cut me off and cancel me and be like, I'll never talk to you another day in your life. But how many other people did I say this around? Say this, And they just took high offense to it and just went through all kinds of trauma reactions about it. And so just because you think you're saying something that's witty, clever, your truth, whatever may have you, and you, whether you got a platform of one or 10 million people that are tuning in to your every comment, it could affect somebody else in some very real ways. And so we've got to be mindful as to is what we say in line with what God would have us say. And if it's not, it's better for us to keep our mouth shut. What are your thoughts? I agree with you on the topic of <clears throat> Lashon Hara. Um, interestingly enough, during the Hebrew for Christians um Sabbath Shabbat table talk, one of the questions was uh, who was the first person or who was the first recorded Lashon Hara um, in the, the scriptures? And it's so telling. And so 
I think what most people don't recognize as well is two aspects of the words of our mouth being so very powerful. And this is going back to the Psalms that says that it needs to be bridled. Um, I, I do believe that when you look at Lasham Hara in the first instance in the scriptures and Hasatan comes to Eve and says, hath the Lord said. In other words, he decided that he was going to twist uh, situations, twist the words or the occurrence of a situation for his ultimate good or his ultimate benefit. And I think when we do Lashon Hara, whether it is by virtue of just carrying news or by virtue of re-listening to um, someone's gossip or someone's downfall, or we're not doing it from the perspective of how does this benefit the, the end user or the person that we're describing. We're really doing it for how it benefits us. Mm -hmm. And we are not as heavily concerned about the impact and what this is doing for or to them. Um, secondly, I, I do recognize that we live in a culture that also utilizes words and i have i'm equally guilty of this one and i've been trying to kind of train myself out of it where we lie a lot and i'm going to explain how we lie over exaggeration in many instances it's just us lying if i said that i am going to meet you um and it was it's been like a thousand years or i was so hungry i was going to die or the over-exaggeration on our tongues are, is so prevalent in our culture that when we seek to even communicate a need, a desire, a thought, it always is littered with so much over-exaggeration. So to the point that people really can't judge if you're really at any time completely honest and true. And we already know, based on this past week and based on the news, the slap heard around the world that most people literally could not believe whether or not that was a, a scene. And scene, the actors have have made their scene, you know, cut until it was like, oh, that wasn't one. And it's become such a um, a prevalent uh, attitude and behavior that we don't recognize the impact of this on one another as well as on our society as well as on our faith you can't have a faith walk if you're constantly a strong faith walk if you're constantly lying within your own soul your your own subconscious is like okay well, what do you really mean is this the time that you're joking <laughs> you know is this the time that you're, you're supposedly putting your your faith in action you know, and the Bible says, you know, if you can say to this mountain, be thou removed, if you have the faith of just a mustard seed, it's not a lot that a mustard seed is. It's very potent. It's very full of potential. It has the uh, ability to be full of empowerment and um, creativity. But at the end of the day, it's small. And so, too, is how the scriptures align the size of our talk. The smallest of one of our members of the body, but so potent, so potentially creative, and so potentially destructive is the tongue. And I, I do feel like when we are talking about the topic of uncleanliness or to me, um, I do feel like there is a tendency in those even scriptural, spiritual, religious circles to under under emphasize the importance of correcting this and disciplining this part of our nature because we're like well we're all human i mean i've heard so many excuses well he just he just did this he he just you know we're human we're human we're human we're human and i'm like uh to the same extent that we are human, there is one of the things that animals can't do. They can't change their nature. We can. We can um, through discipline, through uh, connecting to Hashem. We can change and transform 
the way that we show up, the behaviors that we show up as or in the world. We, we really can. The truth of your personality, the essence of who you are, just like the true essence of God, that ultimately doesn't really transform much. But the behaviors, oh my goodness, that can, that can be life transformational, light and day uh, reflective. And so I feel that when I am reading this portion, she conceives, it does give weight to what have we conceived in our lives by the virtue of our, what have we given birth to? by virtues of our behaviors as much as by the virtue of our womb as a woman um, and what we bring into this world. So I'm cognizant of the fact that um, in the old school, there was a scripture, well, there's a scripture, but it's also, you know, a saying that we say very often, to whom much is given, much is required. And I do feel in this age, we've gotten just maybe less than as a a black woman or a woman of African descent in America, we've gotten to this place, or a Caribbean woman even in the world, we've gotten to a place where less than 50 years after civil rights, less than 100 years after, you know, a lot of our ancestors were tortured for just trying to progress forward. Many of us are in circles that we had never been in before. We're at the height of our careers and we are not recognizing the why for being there. And we are so disconnected from the prices that were paid that we also have equally given birth to, in our mouths, disrespect for the path and the weight of what was contributed to where we are. Hmm. To the point that, that, you know, people would even dare to say, well, he, you don't represent all black people. Well, nobody was seeking a black representation, but we want you to be aware of your responsibility um, because it does come with a weight that is very you know, prevalent and very much connected to how you even had the opportunity to be in the circle that you are today. We want you to be aware and respectful of what that means, if not to the culture per se, definitely to your ancestors, because you do represent the, their greatest dreams, their greatest hopes. And even more so than that, you are a representation of a greater empowerment that they sowed into. You know, you're the fruit. And if you, if they had not sowed so diligently, you would not have had the opportunities that you are possibly disregard and not representing. Okay, so to continue um, with the responsibility of she conceived Tazria fifty seven eighty two. So the the Torah portion begins with the scripture that says that after a woman a mother gives birth that she is impure just as during her time of menstruation. And I used to, and I'll be honest, the first time I heard of this, this is actually not the, my first birth, which is my son's. I heard about it afterwards, but the first time I was made aware of this is when I gave birth to my daughter. My, my husband said it's obvious that there's a difference between giving birth to a a son versus a daughter. And I'll be honest, during my seasons of giving birth, I didn't notice much of a difference, um, possibly because I was very young and I wasn't aware of the scriptural significance. So maybe there was a period of uh, impurity, meaning I, that, that the, the menstruation period or the bleeding period after having a girl child versus a, a male child is different. I personally physically did not notice notice it. But I did notice after having my son versus having my daughter, um, a difference in me. And it could have been just the difference in years because I wanted to be in community so much more quickly after having daughters, my daughters, than when I had my son. And it should be, it should have been the opposite, at least according to how the scripture is related here. 
Um, and because my son was my firstborn, uh, according to the scripture, he was supposed to be dedicated on the eighth day. Um, that's when he should have had his bris. Um, and then there should have been an additional 33 days of separation for me as the mother. And then on the 40th day would be when I would normally, according to the scripture, according to the laws of Moshe, bring the offering, the burnt offering, the Ola offering, and a sin offering. And the Ola offering is a lamb, and the sin offering was a turtle dove, I believe. Um, and so that should have been the period. I did recognize with my son um, in my life, because again, I was not fully aware biblically of the connection, that there was, um, I, I guess, a a mental difference in having the kids um, based on gender. But I don't, I felt like spiritually, I didn't see it. Now, looking into the scriptures and now understanding how the Heavenly Father by covenant is trying to give us a pattern and a significant uh, revelation as to who we are and who he is in you know in us as his people as his called out ones i do see a significant um connection um as my husband already said there is a difference a, a male child does not bear the weight of becoming a mother in the future so he will never experience that the period of separation that happens for a woman uh, the nida period uh every month he will never understand what it's like to go through menstruation. He will never um, understand how that transforms the mind, the body, the hormones. He will never understand that. So the fact that one rabbi put it like this, that a mother bonds more uh, knittedly or more needs more time to bond with a girl child is very interesting to me because I think as my experience with my girl children um, was a little bit different than with my son. It wasn't a period of bonding that I noticed to be significantly different, but I do recognize that the community was different when I had girl children. And, that, and I'm talking about from a spiritual perspective, like my religious community responded differently. And, and I do feel like there is a sense, especially because at the time I was, we were being led by, uh, a spiritual leader that was also female, there was an understanding that there is a weight of responsibility for a new mother and a new mother of another daughter really does need the time to heal and not to be serving, to be restored and not to be, um, and as some people say, cater to. It's not only it's not the only the physical catering. It's really about recognizing uh, the weight of giving, carrying the child to to the birth, delivering the child into the world, and then the period thereafter. Um, there is a weight, and I recognize with my son it was like very rushed, and with them it was a lot longer in terms of that period of getting back to oneself. And getting back to what is considered normal, like hormonally, that hormonal shift, the, the the separation from other people, the desire for community, the desire to not necessarily always have to do everything was a little bit different with them. But anyway, that being said, it is really helpful. And I think it's a gift that Shem has placed a connection to our afflictions in the Torah. And so from the patterns that is giving through the birth of conception based on gender, we have a, a direct connection in the next verse to someone becoming ritually impure with leprosy. And according to the rabbis, they said that there's, you know, seven different sins that directly connect to um, the sin of what we call or translated leprosy, which is zarot. Zara'at. Zara'at. Sorry. Zara'at. And, and so some of them, um, if you have the list, RJ, I would love if you can kind of go through it. But one of the things about the affliction of Zara'at, 
are becoming ritually impure that I thought was very interesting from this week's study was that how often Zarat was like a uh, a warning to kind of correct behaviors that were socially um, hurting, harming the community. And so uh, one of the things that I thought was helpful is thinking about how often sometimes we go into our daily interactions with people and we're so unaware of our impact. RJ mentioned the thing about the, um, the his joke of, you know, the, what is it called? The black people and the illegitimate love children. He, he thought it was, it was such a joke. It was just it's something he could, he could spit off his tongue really, really e- easily and just kind of quote unquote felt, you know, that it was witty. However, when you look at how um, the history of separation, the impact of finances, the disconnect in our families that have really both financially, emotionally, and spiritually torn apart what was a very strong family unit in the past 100 years, that joke made not necessarily only the parent who possibly was in the situation felt um, disrespected is one word, but also um, minimized is another, but also the child thereof. And so I tend to think of how my pastors and my rabbis have really kind of clarified this thing where in our many circles in Christianity, we often used to label like the sinner, not the sinner, but the people who walked as a result of the sin with as much weight as the sin itself, as as if you're going, you're perpetually dirty, you're perpetually, you know, flawed. And I think that was not what this was about at all. And so looking at how we, as the quote unquote, the ones who are trying to move our spiritual walk to a place of holiness in Hashem are utilizing our mouth, our conditioning, our teachings, and labeling other people as perpetual sinners, even though Hashem has not. I thought to myself, how often are we collectively missing the mark and could have benefited from a physical sign that we were so off base? Because I mean, I'm, this is seen in so many religious circles and we don't even recognize the impact of what we've done. We've separated people from Hashem by our words and by our doctrines that literally also does exactly what the first Lashanara of Hasatan was, which was to commit sin, but then also more so than that, to create that separation for somebody else. As we now are inheritors of the sin of Eve and sin of Adam, so too are other people inheriting our Lashon Hara because we're not nipping in in the bud in this generation. So being ritually impure is a fast hose to make a larger group all equally ritually impure by our actions. That'd be true. And, you know, even in the last part of the Torah portion, the last couple of verses speak on uh, finding the Zara'at in clothing, in the linen, and how you would to rip out that piece of the garment. And of course, you read it and you go, this is definitely got to be figurative. There's no way that clothing can be diseased. Take a parallel, though, from a modern culture. How many times have you been in a house where someone has been cooking an especially strong food? Fish or curry or even microwave popcorn, if you're right close to it. Or been in an environment where there's been a lot of smokers and your clothes come out smelling like your environment. And you can see the parallel in how your clothing can be afflicted. It seems like it's figurative, but it's just to echo what you were just saying. It spills over into so many areas of your life. You think you say something and it's just gone, but it's all over you like cigarette smoke and the like, it's it sticks. And you may not see it, you may not smell it, you may not consider it because you've 
immersed yourself in this whole thing. But someone else coming along can go, hmm, what's that? And so being mindful of that and its effect on others, whether they heard it or just find you after the fact, is also part of it. But to answer your initial question about the seven different reasons someone might be afflicted with Sarat, the Talmud in Arakane 69 speaks of seven different reasons, gossip, which we discuss, murder, perjury, forbidden sexual relationships, arrogance, theft, and envy. Many of the Midrashes do focus on gossip. Also think, though, on those other six categories, if you will, as different ways that you're repaying good with evil. Mm -hmm. You know, murder, whether it's a physical ending of someone's life or slandering someone's name. Correct. Hashem, Hashem, excuse me, but uh, Yeshua in the Gospel of uh, Matthew says, you know, you've murdered your brother by calling him, you know, you know, if you call him Raka, a fool, Mm -hmm. you would be in judgment, be, you know, guilty of the judgment. Or if you, you just hold ought against your brother is equal to um, seeking like separation and murder. That level of separation is that level of unforgiveness that can also be linked to like hatred of your brother. And hence the reason why he says that, you know, even your thing that you're about to pray for, put down or your offering that you're about to give, put that down and go and seek to make that right with your brother because the level of unforgiveness or the level of forgiveness then that you ought to give is, you know, seven times seven. Mm-hmm. And if you have not done that and put that in place, you know, you can't clearly or, you know, wholeheartedly come to the Father and also seek forgiveness for your own sins. Because then are you not then putting yourself in judgment of your brother when you seek to not forgive him? So it is very interesting, and I'm using my own um, words in this particular situation, but a lot of this is found in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read the Beatitudes, very often it is very clear about those sins that are directly related to our relationships to one another on a, a daily basis. Very true. And, you know, taking that 70 times 7 into account. 70 times 7. That whole admonition to forgive faster than to speak against someone is clearly something that we can use more of these days. We're very quick to give people what for. And sometimes it takes a little time to reflect and see why things have been said how we should respond appropriately. If we lived on our reactions, a lot of the things that we would do in those first couple of moments, we wouldn't do given further thought. You know, perjury. You know, I mean, there's no other word for it. You're lying, right? You're lying on a court stand. You're lying against somebody else. But it's just, it goes right back again to the um, rabbinic expanded interpretation of murder as opposed to not just ending someone's life physically but also speaking evil against them if you've got if you're in a court case and you're speaking against someone likely your testimony is harming them if you say something that's sending them to prison wrongfully you know you can see the impact on that but what if that person actually did commit the crime they were supposed to and you figured if i lie from this individual and I keep them out of jail, then I'm doing them good. And maybe you're just enabling very bad behavior that needed to have that consequence behind it. So there's a lot of nuance that we need to sometimes sit still to get the full revelation on that we don't always get to. Forbidden sexual relationships. I mean, there's so many different ways you can get there, but at the the end of the day, it all comes down to the same truth. You have a momentary situation you make a decision that you probably would not if you were a little bit more soberly minded. And Mm -hmm. if you just give yourself that moment to reflect, to go, what are the consequences of this action? If I were to say yes to this, maybe you wouldn't do it. Hopefully you wouldn't do it. Prayfully you wouldn't do it. 
arrogance, seeing yourself above other people and thinking you can say or do things to others just because you've achieved a certain station. Like going back to what you were saying earlier about generationally, we're living lives that far surpass the dreams that our grandparents and great-grandparents thought were possible. They prayed for days when they we just wouldn't even have to endure some of their hardships, much less seeing what is possible nowadays. But by not being mindful of those past sacrifices, stories, situations, and thinking, well, the might of my hands and my good looks and, you know, all these things that brought me here, you don't regard with the gravity required those who have come before you and those who have paid a heavy price for your freedom. And so that is, in my opinion, also a form of Lashon Hurrah. You know, sometimes we say things that you believe, but sometimes not saying, not speaking our truth, not respecting those who have come before us, that is also a form of evil speech because those that have come before us deserve to have their names remembered, their stories recognized. It's We stand on the shoulders of giants, and it's imperative that we remember those that we come before. If we can study the teachings and writings of the rabbis and sages. Also, the Jewish people, that's what they recount every Moedim, every High Holy Day. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the, you know, if you're by virtue of the blood, you know, a seed of Abraham or spiritually a seed of Abraham, what we recount every single High Holy Day is the legacy of Hashem's covenant with Israel. And it is a covenant made through, you know, made by God to people. And so that heritage is what you're speaking of. That heritage should be respected. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since, you know, the Lord also commanded us daily, uh, Deuteronomy, um, I believe it's six, chapter six, as you walk along the way, talk about it. You know, so he wants you to regard this as a sacred responsibility. So it's not only talking about what Hashem has done for us, but ultimately what our people agree to in being in covenant with Hashem. What our people are, as his representatives on this earth, are responsible for. And how does that impact the world? And when we disregard it, I do feel a sadness because you just have caused a the opposite effect of the blessing to now enter into your life. The opposite of having respected the covenant, taking on the responsibility you're separating yourself from. Mm-hmm. And so, and I go back to this, this statement and the adage, to whom much is given. It was given to you. It was a gift. Each day of our lives, a gift. It's a present. How are you utilizing it? Are you giving birth to blessings or to curses in your life? And I do feel that we don't take responsibility when we minimize our errors. True. And the desire to be disciplined in regards to that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the sword cuts both ways. You got to be open to receiving that constructive feedback. And if you're going to share it, do it in love so someone else can take it and learn from it rather than being torn apart by it. And instead of learning the lesson and growing in it, they just shut down because of that harsh word, which is also in Proverbs, you know, a uh, kind word stirs away wrath. Or... A kind word. Um, no, 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 the uh, harsh word stirs up anger. Yeah. But a kind word. Um, I guess I'm I'm gonna mix this up as well because I'm thinking of Psalms. I said a kind word is like honey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a that's a Psalms. Okay, we'll get the scripture together in the meantime while we're you know looking up the exact scripture. Uh, I do see the connection. Um, if you don't mind for look up the scripture. Uh, I do see the the importance of what the sages are teaching. Uh, and as it pertains to the heritage and uh, this act of tame or uncleanliness, there the sages state that this is from Hebrews for Christians. Um, this number three it was a table talking about a question. The sages state that the father of all uncleanliness is contact with death, i.e. a corpse. 
Um, and I remember our prior rabbi um, said the word there is not corpse in terms of a dead body, but neshama, soul, that soul. Um, and since that immediately results in separation from the sanctuary as um, dictated in Numbers 19, verse 13, why is this death regarded as inherently unclean and defiling? And so going back to the definition that, that is in the contact with a with corpse or a dead soul, um, I wanted to kind of bring into um, some of the suggestion suggested reasons that we're here and see if you have some discussions or points to add to it. Um, as stated in, there's five, I think seven reasons here. Unlike other religions, the reverence for the dead, like for example, Egyptian cults of the dead, Greek cults, etc., God wants us to be life focused. Unlike other religions that engage in ancestor, ancestral worship, God wants us to respect our heritage, but understand it with an eye to a future good. Unlike occult practices of spiritism and sorcery, God wants us to be in a personal relationship with him. Uh, though it is a common occurrence, death that is, it is a stopping place for life and therefore needs to be invested with special sanctity and taboos, though, through, though it is a common occurrence. Um, the laws of Tuma were intended to regard death as an anomaly, an aberration, and even as an obscenity. Death is an ultimate profanity. Put the other way, the laws against contact with the dead were intended to instill sanctity and reverence for, again, life. Uh, I think Judaism is a, one of the, you know, religions that huge, you know, are really, really big about everything is respect for life. We, we bless our um our bread, our wine, our food, and we celebrate life every single time. Uh, death is the opposite of the continuum of life. Uh, the sanctuary, therefore, the divine presence is a set-apart place for life, healing, and shalom. And number seven, death itself is regarded as an enemy, uh, written as written in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55. And eventually, according to Isaiah 25, verse 8, death will be swallowed up in victory. Such is our great hope, eternal life, the freedom from the presence of sin, pain, sorrow, and the best of all, enjoying the presence of God as an eternal love forever. So how do you think God wants us to regard physical death um, as it pertains to the physical body as much as to the soul, especially in light of the, the resurrection, the promises of Yeshua, as well as the body of uh, Torah? that we learn. Well, first I'm gonna bring up Proverbs 15.1 to answer the question on the scripture. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So that's Proverbs 15.1. So for all those that were confused by our confusion, that's the scripture. With regards to death and life, it's it hits you on many layers. I mean, of course, like, you just mentioned it's the end of one period and beginning of another, and it's got that harsh separation. What also tends to be coming to mind with me is with regards to care. Like I remember when King David was praying for his child to be restored after, and I mentioned that that was going to be the punishment for his um, illicit act with Bathsheba. He prayed and he prayed, but when the child died, he was like, okay, I've done all I could do. That's over. Let me go back and do what's next. And the servants were just left like, I don't understand. How are you going to come and ask for a sandwich right now? Oh, it shouldn't you be mourning? He's like, well, I prayed. I tried. It, God said, nope. And so time to move on. You know, that that's done. And we don't always realize with regards to our actions, our words, how that can cause death in someone else. Just because they don't physically drop doesn't necessarily mean that some part of their soul didn't die. There's an innocence, there's a trust, there's a hopefulness that gets shattered when people say these words. You know, psychologists say that it takes up to a hundred kind words to undo the effects of one harsh word. And can you imagine if you've been in some sort of harsh or abusive situation and you've been through repeated words and actions that have just hit your soul and your spirit and 
eat you down physically, mentally, spiritually, how much is needed to bring you back to that baseline of where you can trust again with an openness and a willingness because every other time that you've tried to open up, someone has hurt you. And even when it comes to Proverbs again, that gentle answer that turns away wrath, if you speak to someone in love, even though it may be correction, they can still see that you're doing it in love. And yeah, fine. You know, I don't like the fact that you told me I shouldn't put my hand on the fire, but you did it in a loving way. I can feel that you care for me. Versus if you go, you're stupid, you're never going to be nothing. Okay. What kind of idiot okay. puts their hands on the fire? Okay. No, no, I'm not going to go too far with it, but that's the harsh version of it. Now, instead of it being a gentle type of correction and saying, come, let me show you the right way to do it. It's like, you're the bad one. You're the evil one. You're the thing that can't be made good. And how can you reconcile this action was the challenge that needed to be resolved versus me being something that's unable to be made right. It's a totally different thing. So this death is not just a physical walking away from this side of the world, but my essence, my soul, this will, emotions that helps me present myself to the world, if that gets shattered, if that gets broken, if that gets to the point where I'd rather hide my true self than express myself fully, then we're all losing out on all that God brought me here to be because someone else decided that they wanted to take liberties with what they should have been using kind words to express. Absolutely so. I to find um, the word that we've been repeated, repeatedly saying uh, throughout this portion and discussion is Lashon Hara, traditionally defined as evil speech. Um, it's often thought of as saying something bad about another person, even if it happens to be true. Uh, however, uh, if something happens to be true, the report or the expression of that negative uh, item being shared with others to break down rather than to build up is much more of a critical spirit and a critical action rather than according to what Yeshua um, was trying to guide us in, which is, you know, speak truth, speak kindness, speak, you know, love, correct, you know, what is the, there's a scripture that says, um, confess your sins one to another. It's not for the sake of coming back and throwing that back in somebody's face to diminish them. Um, I also remember another scripture in the, the Bible, which says that, you know, the, the, a few scriptures, the Psalmist David says about being condemned, like, Lord, don't let my enemies triumph over me. Don't let the the words, you know, don't let their evil confessions, you know, win over me. And sometimes these, the act of Lashon Hara is trying to defy the will of God, where he has not condemned us, they and their words and the, the, the sinister nature of the litany of these words and the consistency of it is trying to make them the judge of our lives. Um, and the outcome of our destiny through their words. Mm -hmm. And I do desire that we as believers would take ownership of this responsibility because, you know, Yeshua, when he was um, again preaching from the uh, Sermon on the Mount, this Mount, excuse me, comes, it comes in again, Matthew 12. He says, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes when we are speaking, we are not always aware of how we are creating condemnation in somebody else or as a result of what we've spoken, because it's not, it's hard for me to believe, but you should equally be, you know, deny what Hashem may have told you because it's hard for me to believe it. Hmm. Um, and because I can't become an encourager, I'm going to destructively belittle whatever you've shared. And we don't, we, and it comes as some people tend to say, well, it's coming from a 
their quote unquote good place. But sometimes we have to judge ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have to judge our own our own fears, our own limitations, our own you know disjointed walk with the Lord and what He commanded us to do and how we were disobedient doesn't mean that somebody else can't eat the fruit of the the land or eat the heritage of Jacob their father for the mouth of the Lord spoke it so as he spoke it and it it impacts somebody to start walking out in obedience how dare you come along and equally commit an act of Lashana Rabbi belittling it sometimes that happens very often especially in these religious circles oh I didn't have that experience mm -hmm. I don't know that to be true. And instead of supporting and saying, let's pray together, let's do what the Bible says, oh, you know, it is a blessing when brothers dwell together in unity or they come together um, to become good counsel for one another. Your action of your envy or your disbelief um, literally creates an atmosphere where I'm not going to support them. I'm going to that 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 all again behaviors and so i do desire to kind of transition this into the discussion about the lepers because we did talk a lot about you know evil speech as it is related to zara alt uh zararat and there is quite a few uh stories about lepers in this portion and next week's portion as well so in this week's half Torah, we are talking about uh, the story in English of Naaman, or Naaman, uh, and Elisha in Hebrew, but it's Elisha in English, found in Second Kings chapter five. There's also the um, story of the the lepers outside of the camp. Um, I believe that happened with King Uzziah in Second Chronicles chapter 26. And then there's the lepers healed by Yeshua or the leper healed by Yeshua in Matthew chapter 8 verse 2. And of course, the, uh, the retelling of the 10 lepers healed by Yeshua in Luke chapter 17 verses 12 through 19. In these um, tongues or these retellings, historical tongues of the lepers in each of these cases, how does this relate to either evil speech or what we've been talking about, the impurity to cleanliness of process? I think it just goes right back to what we were talking about all along with just being mindful of our words being representatives of our walk with Hashem and We've got to be mindful in each and every instance that what we say is a testimony to our Heavenly Father. And each of those instances were different. And we, you know, walking through each of them is going to require a little bit more time. But all of those were poor representatives of what we should be doing as believers of Hashem and disciples of Messiah Yeshua. What we say, what we do speaks to our God because those who don't know him, those who don't read the book, those who are not walking with him, look at us and go, well, if that's your life, I don't want no part of that club. So we can tell ourselves a whole lot of things that seem good in our own minds, but those, especially those who don't know, they know what that looks like. And they're like, you know, if, there's no difference in you, then I don't need to be going your way. Well, I could do bad by myself. Well, it's interesting. Well, I'm going to do this real quickly. Um, I didn't know the, the story of King Uzziah. So King Uzziah, which is Second Chronicles chapter 26, was a king of Judah mm -hmm. uh, who took uh, reign at 16 years of age. Basically, he went out and, and fought a few wars, and he became proud. He fought wars against the Philistines um, and won. And it says in Second Chronicles um, chapter 26, verse 16, and when he was strong, he grew proud mm -hmm. to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah, the priest, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron. 
And then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of the incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him because he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed out, rushed him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And it says that King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And so I know we didn't talk about this, but according to the, um, the Torah instructions, a leper was to follow a set uh, spiritual condition as a result of the, the physical outbreak upon his body. Um, and so the, the conditions were that he were to live outside of the community. He was to shave his head. He was to tear his clothes, rent his clothes. Um, and he was to shout um, the words unclean and stay away whenever someone, oh, basically he was supposed to cover his face, shroud his face, um, and to remain alone. And then if anyone came near, he was required to cry out unclean and stay away. And so that is the Second Chronicles 26 instance. And so when you look at um, some of these instances, we know of the 10 lepers where Yeshua heals, you know, 10 lepers, tells them to go to the priest and, you know, nine go and, you know, one comes back and gives thanks and gratitude. And according to the word of the Lord um, in Luke chapter 17, um, Yeshua responds uh, to the one who basically gave the the act of gratitude. Um, and so the the thing is that even Naaman, the story of Naaman, it's not very clear, which I thought about in telling because it was the half Torah portion this week, that Naaman was the only one here that was that had leprosy that was a wasn't Jewish. And I thought I never thought about it how weird that was that he was the only uh one before, but according to the sages, Naaman was possibly connected, according to the Midrash, to the soldier who ended up killing um, King Ahab. That's how we pronounce it in English. And from accidentally really killing Ahab, because you remember in the story, King Ahab got a word from the Lord that he was going to die in the battlefield when he went out to war. He dressed himself um, as a commoner on the field of war. And it just so happened that accidentally someone discharged an arrow and ended up killing King Ahab. Um, that he becomes this huge general in um, the, the area of land that we now today call Syria. And now becoming this huge general, the pride overtook him. But not only the pride alone, it says that the story begins with the fact that Naaman is told by a Jewish slave um, to go and see the, the the prophet in Israel, and that he would be healed if he went to see the prophet in Israel, and it's it's so interesting that the midrash again states that this act of having this Jewish slave girl was actually possibly the reason that he may have broken out in leprosy, hmm. the act of having stolen this uh, Jewish slave girl, but this this slave girl ends up being the means by which not only his shalom, his wholeness is restored unto him, but also him coming to know who the true God is. Because at the end of, of being blessed um, by the word of prophet Elisha, he is also declares with his own mouth that, you know, I now wish to only serve the one true God on earth. Um, and so it is very evident to us that when um, what Hashem is kind of talking about really is the, the the impact of our hearts and where we as human beings are in relationship to our heart conditions and how that impacts other people. And if we do not physically see leprosy in this day and age, we are seeing the impact of leprous conditions in our society, especially we as members of the household of faith, we need to take um, a special, uh, I, I was going to say an ounce, but that's not the right word, a special place of judging ourselves lest we be judged by 
what Hashem gave as a means for us to correct ourselves. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the command to maintain community. All of these things that he has commanded, he said, pray always. If you follow the, the precepts, all of these things will bring correction and discipline for a believer. But when we walk away from them and think about how, especially post-COVID, how many of us are not in community. We're not speaking to one another. We're not um, submitting ourselves one to another. We're not submitting ourselves to uh, an elder or somebody else that is more um, called to be a spiritual head over us. We're not praying one for another. We're not praying for even ourselves on a regular basis. We have literally removed the, the boundaries and the floodgates of all manner of conditions are coming in. And even as the this Torah portion has shown, it is showing up in our households. It's showing up in our families. It's showing up with people dying at very early ages. It's showing up with our children going astray. It's showing up with our finances, where everything that shalom should be in within us has been removed because we removed the barriers for what Hashem has put in place to protect the community and to ensure that his covenant people remain under his banner, his protection. And I, I always go back to that scripture and I always have, I'm a visual type of reader. Um, when Yeshua said, you know, how, how he mourned, how much the father mourns to not be able to protect his children like a hand, uh, as a hand protects his chicks and protects them from harm, how he mourns your acts of disobedience because it literally puts you in a place where now there's an enemy who is seeking prey and he goes about like a roaring lion. He is not the lion, but he goes about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And But we've removed ourselves from the, the hen's covering. We removed ourselves from being within the discipline. And I do believe that that is on us to come back into obedience. And I know the, again, the psalmist does say it's better to obey than to. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And thank you. And so to conclude this week's core study, um, I just want to bring up, you know, one of the things that is so important about the Za'arat in our spiritual life is that it is revealed to us. Just as Hashem spoke to Moses and told Moses to tell the children of Israel, so too does Hashem speak to us through his Holy Spirit. And he tells us that that is going to be something that he is first going to reveal both internally, but then externally if we are not obedient in getting our act together, if we're not obedient to what he has declared. And that's the, that is the area that he doesn't desire to bring us to shame. He desires for us to come into repentance so that again, as the, the hen protects his chicks from harm, he, he can do what he, his word and his heart desires, which is to bring us into unity together as one family. And so I pray that as you've listened to us today, that you have gained that and you too will He'll turn back just as one of the 10 lepers um, and with a loud voice, just give thanks. Give thanks because you recognize he has cleansed us. He has restored us. And we are now found with grace and such a grace that is full of shalom. There's nothing broken and nothing missing in his shalom and within his covering. Amen. Shalom. So as we conclude this podcast episode, we always encourage those that are listening to like, share, subscribe, and continue the dialogue with us. By all means, please feel free to share any of these sessions with anyone within your circle and those that you meet. May we all be enlightened by our studying together and learning of the world. And to reach us, our website is return.rest and email is call to the number two 
at the time got rest. So by all means, send your questions, your comments, your thoughts. Let's see what we can do to keep making this something of great value to each other. And as we close, we'll close with the Eskayim prayer. Eskayim ki machazikim ba betom mekeha nevishar erachcheha darkei noah vechol nativoteka shalom hashivenu adonai eleka benashuba chadesh chadesh yaminu chadesh yaminu kekem. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. Shalom, y'all.